0: Welcome to King Solomon and the Stoics, I'm Shmueli Halpern, thank you for joining. Today I'd like to discuss the concept of evil and suffering in the world through the eyes and perspectives of King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, when life goes well, when everything flows, work, family, recreation, the economy is good, the sun is shining, it's not too hot, it's not too cold, we don't search for the deeper meaning of life, we're content, we're satisfied. Why should we look deeper? However, when difficulties arise, whether they're in the world or in our families, in our personal lives, in our friends, whatever they may be, but when difficulties arise, we begin to question. We'll begin to wonder, what's the purpose of all this? When people get older, life becomes more difficult. Also, we begin to question, why are we here? What's the purpose of this? There's so much suffering in the world. What is it all for? So the basic framework for trying to develop some understanding for the existence of suffering, the existence of evil, is going to be the concept of free will. But before we get there, let's take a look at the words of Solomon here in chapter 1, verse 13 of Ecclesiastes, where he says, My heart gave me to go and search and and wander through the wisdom that I had to understand deeply the happenings under the sky, under the heavens. So Solomon is telling us that he had wisdom, and through his wisdom, he sought to understand that which is happening in the world around him. The Targum, the Aramaic translation, explains that this is a reference to the book of Kings where Solomon asks God for wisdom. And if you look over there, the nature of his request to God is that I'm a young king says Solomon, and I need to guide the people. In order to guide the people, I need to understand good and evil. And we have to understand, what was he asking? Perhaps what Solomon means to ask of God is, in order to guide the people, and when you're guiding a nation, there are so many individuals who are inevitably going to suffer through one tragedy or another. How can I guide them through that suffering? In order to do so, I need to understand the context good and evil. I need to understand a context, a framework wherein I can place the concept of suffering so that I can guide, I could console, I could comfort, I could strengthen the people in my care. I am young God, says Solomon. I need help. And God responds and grants Solomon the great wisdom that he had. And this is incredible. That means that the great wisdom of Solomon, the wisest of all men, it stems from one place from a search to understand the deeper meaning of life that can give a context to suffering so that he can strengthen and comfort the people in his care. Unbelievable. So what exactly does he discover and how can we learn from there? How can we apply it in our own circumstances and how can we use these ideas to strengthen others? Let's try and dive in. Well, let's take a look again at verse 13. Solomon says that his heart moved him to go and search with wisdom and seek out the deeper meaning of everything that happens under the sky, under the heavens. And he sees that it's a, the, whole, the entire matter is evil. The word used, which is important in Hebrew, is ra, typically translated as evil. But we'll get back to that soon. And he sees that it is all the evil that a God has given to man to suffer through it. It doesn't seem very positive, but let's move on. And he goes on to say in verse 14, I saw all the actions, all the things that happened under the sun, and all of it was futility and a vexation of spirit. It was all troublesome, all annoyances, the daily grind of life, the troubles that people have to undergo. And he goes on to speak further about the things that are broken, about the yearning and search for people that they have to to go ahead and, and search out their sustenance, their bread, to put bread on the table, the difficulties involved. The way everything rises but only then falls. Things grow and then they wither. People grow and then they start to decline as they age. And so on and so forth. And that seems to be his perspective. And he goes even further. We're going to skip a verse. But he goes even further to say um, in verse 18, the last verse in chapter 2, he says, with more knowledge, with more wisdom is greater anger, is greater vexation. And the more understanding more pain And the Sepharno says an incredible thing he says that what Solomon is talking about here referenced it in the, in the he referenced this idea in the verse before Solomon is referring to the knowledge that the philosophers of the world have. And he says there's two approaches. You can look at the world that it has no creator, no one guiding it. and it is what it is. If suffering comes a person's way, that's the way of the world there's nothing to do about it. But says Solomon, it still hurts. It's still painful. And he goes on to say, and if you have deeper understanding and you come to the conclusion and you work with a knowledge, with a relationship, with a creator who guides the happenings of the world, you have more pain. Because you wonder, where is the, this creator? Where is God guiding the world to? What's the purpose of the suffering? Where does it lead people? What's the end goal? And so either way, the end result is either anger, frustration, or even more pain. So what's the answer? What's the answer? Where does Solomon's wisdom that God grants him in order to be able to guide the people, where's the answer? Let's continue. Rashi tells us that the wisdom that we're referencing here in verse 13 is the wisdom of the Torah. And what Solomon sees through the wisdom of the Torah, that the the concept of evil and suffering that exists in the world relates to free will. And again, how does that answer the question? At the end of the day, look around you. Look at the suffering in the world. What's the purpose of all this? Where does free will come in and how does it answer the problem? How does it answer the question? So let's try and understand. What is free will? Let's try and develop it this way. There's three potential ways a human being can live his life. And it's not a matter of a person living their life this way entirely, their moments, their days, when we do better, when we do worse, but there are three general approaches to utilizing our free will or not utilizing our free will, as we shall see. The first and lowest approach would be to just allow the world to act upon you, to never be proactive, to always wake up in the morning and whatever it is that's pressing you do, or to follow every whim and desire. Obviously, that is not how a person can be successful. That's not how we would imagine a person reaching their potential. That is the lowest level. That's level number one. In order to be a human being, you need to be proactive, you need to choose, you need to step beyond your circumstances, you need to be able to say no to desire. You need to be able to keep your mouth closed at times, even though you want so badly to say something, and so on and so forth. That's the starting point of what it means to be a human being. That's the starting point of what it means to live aligned with your nature as a human being and aligned with the world around you. I remember a time where I was mountain biking in Buffalo Creek here in the beautiful state of Colorado, and after the third or fourth grueling climb, I was out with a friend, And we saw a few deer frolicking and he said, wow, this is the life. Look at these, look at these little animals, look at these deer, these cute little animals, they're frolicking here in the hills. The sun is shining, it's beautiful, it's amazing. It really was, it really is, the scenery and the experience of being out in the hills, absolutely amazing. And look at these animals, this is their life. Unbelievable, said my friend. But I thought to myself, as I was struggling to climb this hill, That's very nice, but they got here easy. I have to struggle. I have to struggle and knock myself out to get up this hill. It's enjoyable. It's a pleasure, but it's painful. And here we have level number two of what it means to be a human being, what it means to choose. Yes, we should live aligned with our nature, but we're most of creation from the angels to the sun and the stars to the animals, to the trees, to the grass. They naturally live aligned with their nature. But we humans, we have to fight to get there. We have to fight our desires that attempt to remove us from the world, to paraphrase, the words of the sages and the ethics of the fathers. We have natural tendencies. We have laziness. We have all these things that we need to battle in order to properly live aligned with our true nature. So that is level number two. Level number two, in order for man to take his rightful place in the universe, he needs to fight, he needs to choose, he needs to be proactive. But man still has not reached his potential with that level of choice. This is because man was not created to just be another element of the universe, to live aligned with his nature, just like the cow and just like the tree. That is not the purpose of man. Man is created for something incredible called free will. Let's analyze that word for a moment. Free will is truly free. Philosophers forever have pondered this concept. What what does that mean? How can something be free? How can you make a choice that has no prior cause? It's not because I'm hungry. It's not because I'm naturally predisposed to like chocolate ice cream versus vanilla ice cream. It's not because of any of those factors. It's not because I was provoked. It's not because of anything. It's free. It's without any prior cause. The deeper sources relate how this level of free will connects and relates to God creating ex nihilo, God creating what's known in Hebrew as yesh me'ayin, something from nothing, there's no prior cause, God is the first cause, and he's acting willfully with nothing compelling him, that's what it means to be free, and God created human beings in his image to choose that way, and it's not enough to take our rightful place in the universe by being human beings and not just being pulled after our whims where we're actually less than the cow on the farm. But no, we choose and we're proactive. That's not enough. Man was not created to just be another creation. Man was created to bring something new into the universe, to create, to have true, true creativity. You know, it always troubled me. I would hear Simon Sinek say things about Apple and how a company, that is creative and how it yearns for creativity. And creativity is an ultimate goal, how you can inspire employees and how you can inspire confidence in customers and a brand loyalty and so on and so forth. And we see it works. But it always bothered me, what is the point of creativity? What is the point of creativity for creativity's sake? And I think here we have a little bit of an inkling. Creativity is an expression of divinity in its highest level. Now, obviously, the highest expression of creativity is not necessarily creating an iPhone, but we'll develop that in just a little bit. But for a moment, let's focus. Creativity is a divine act when it is truly creative, truly creative means there's no prior cause. It's a new invention. It's a miracle. Free will is not understandable within the laws of cause and effect. It is not accessible within the mindset of looking at nature around us and understanding how a tree works and how a cow works and how a computer works and turning around and attempting to understand free will. That won't work because free will is truly from another realm. It truly is from another world. It's new. It's creation. Ex nihilo. Now, in order to tap into the power of true creativity, of free will, you have to have faith. You have to see yourself as a creation of God. Because if you don't believe in a creator, if you don't believe that there is anything that exists beyond, from outside of the system you see, so there's no such a thing as something new ever. Everything, as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything is old. Everything is a repeat, a cyclical repeat of what was. There's no such a thing as new. But when you have faith, when you recognize a creator, and you understand that the world was created new, it was created ex nihilo, it was created from nothing, you can begin to tap into what it means to be created in the image of God. And to yourself... Establish and build your creativity to create something new. That's step number one. Step number two. Let's understand that every being, as we may have mentioned before, every single being from the highest angel to the grass, to the ground, to the earth, to the trees, to the animals, every being is created with a specific purpose, with a specific nature, and it sticks to that nature. Only man has the ability to choose. Only man is not naturally aligned with his true nature. Only man has free will. What is the purpose of this free will? Where is it supposed to lead us? Why did God create a system? Why did God create a universe? And Create man who stands beyond who stands outside that world and is supposed to bring something new creativity into that world What's the purpose of such a system? Why the clash? Why place free-willed man in the image of God in an environment? That pulls him to act in a way that he simply acted upon. What's the point? What is the point and in the truth? We can ask what's the point of creation in general? So just brief review God is the ultimate good, and God wishes to bestow the ultimate good. And the way that occurs is when God God can bestow of himself to another. And so God creates a being that can most enjoy the closeness and connection to God. And that being is man, free-willed man. With man's free will, he is meant to be God-like. And by being God-like, he can be connected to God. He can start to understand, in our limited human perception, but he can start to understand God, God's actions. And he can start to develop a relationship. And that relationship is the ultimate good. This world that we live in, we struggle to develop that relationship because we live in a world where God is not apparent. We see cause and effect. We don't see brand new. We don't see true creativity. We see creativity that is usually prompted by something, be it a need to make a few dollars or something else. But true, true creativity is something very rare. So again, God created man so that man can be truly creative and man could connect ultimately with the true creative source, which is God himself. Now let's take this a step further. There's two terms that the deeper sources relate. There are two terms for a creation or a effect. One is, those two words themselves that we just used, one is a creation and one is an effect. What's the difference between a creation and effect? We know cause and effect and we know creation. What's the difference? Well, let's think about it for a second. When you create something, if you're a builder and you built a building, when you walk away from the building, there's no clear connection between you and the handiwork that you've labored so hard and the sweat and tears that you put in to build this edifice. There's no no obvious connection. There's a clear disconnect between the creator and the created being. That's what it means to be to create. That's what it means to be a creation. To be an effect is to steer your cause in the face and to very clearly realize this is the cause and this is the effect. Creation is new, as we mentioned. Creation is X and the hilo, but cause and effect, you see the relationship in a much more clear fashion. Here lies a deep secret. Man is a creation, whereas in a certain sense, the upper spiritual realms, the angels, are effects. They're effects that can, so to speak, see the fact that their cause, Hashem, God, brought them into existence, but man and the world around us, the lower realm that we inhabit, Alone is a created entity ex nihilo in the sense that it doesn't steer at its creator, at its source, and see it clearly, it doesn't. It seems to be like the house. It seems to stand on its own feet. But here is a deep choice that we all make all the time. And the more we understand this, the more we'll tap into the true meaning of life. We have a choice. The choice is, do we see ourselves as independent beings Existing independently of our Creator? Or do we go back to the first moment of our existence and recognize our entire existence is reliant, is dependent upon our Creator? Because when you're created from nothing, the point prior to your creation, you're nothing. And if you can tap into that sense that it is God himself, who brings you into existence and continues to sustain your existence, and without that, you're nothing, then you have the deepest connection to your creator. You have the deepest understanding of your creator. However, if you step one step away from your source and you don't look to the first moment of your existence, instead you see yourself as a fully independent and self-contained system, then you are like the house, the edifice that does not look to its builder, does not see its builder, and you're very, very distant. In that sense, when the world does not look to its source, when the world sees itself as independently owned and operated, it is as distant from good as it can possibly be. But when the world, specifically this world, that is created, that is seemingly independent, and that has such creative force, whether it's the creativity that man possesses, or, the book of Tanya, the great Lubavitcher Rebbe points out, the incredible creativity that exists within the earth, within the land, that it, you can plant one seed and who knows what will sprout, tree that can go ahead and provide fruit for generations. There's incredible creation next to Nihilo, happening within this earthly realm that we inhabit. But it's an expression of divinity. If we see it as such, The goodness prevails. God continues to bestow goodness upon the world. The system flourishes. Creativity is supreme, but in the good sense. Atom bombs are not being built, but apple trees are being planted. Creativity in its good sense, divinity is being expressed. But when we turn the other way and we see ourselves in the world as an independent thing, then what happens with creativity is the atom bomb. That is exactly where things go. That's the choice. As the Torah relates, God says, I give before you today blessing and curse, life and death. Creativity can build. Creativity can destroy. Creativity can create life. Creativity can bring death. It is up to us. It is our choice. Let's go back. Let's return to the subject. Let's try and tie this back into Solomon's general theme here. So again, Solomon says in verse 13, I've put my heart, my heart has moved me through the wisdom of Torah to go ahead and look at what's going on in the world. And as the Targum translates into Aramaic, this relates to Solomon's quest to be able to provide meaning and context to people who are going through suffering. And the answer is free will. And how does that help us? Let's take this another step. The Saffarno, the great commentator Saffarno explains that when Solomon says everything that happens under the sky is evil, the word used is Ra. Now Ra, typically we translate it as evil, but if we think about it deeper, it actually means deficient. It means something chopped off, like as if you were on your way to a destination, but didn't quite get there. That's what Ra is. That's what evil is. Ramo Shechem Lozado, the Greek Kabbalist Lozado, explains that evil and suffering, when taken in its own light, it's negative. It has goodness when it is part of a broader framework. What is that broader framework? Let's continue here in the words of Safarno. Safarno says that what Solomon is relating, the word evil, the word deficient, the word cut off, Two in this verse, is the very quest for meaning. The very search, the very, the very concept of understanding and wisdom is deficient. And here lies an incredible secret. The sages tell us that the word Adam, the word man, relates to two things. One, to Adama, which means the earth. And two, to the word Adame, which comes from the verse which says, La la'elyonai will be God-like. And there's an incredible secret here that the morale relates that great 16th century sage as well as Soferno here, the commentator in, in Ecclesiastes. And that is that man should understand that his knowledge, his existence, is something that is potential, but it is not actualized. And there's something very deep. Man shouldn't think of himself as a self-contained perfect system. He shouldn't think of his understanding, his ability to understand his ability to search out wisdom as something complete, as something that is, but rather he should see it as something that is developing, as becoming. The Sephardim says the following powerful words, I'll read them in Hebrew and translate. Rather, a person should attempt to be godlike, to be pleasing, to attain a connection with. God. That's the purpose. We exist in potential. And every time we come closer, every time we develop and express our divine creativity, we come closer to God. And that leads us to another level of creativity. We now have the ability to express even deeper creativity. And when we do that, we come closer. We understand God and his ways better. And that gives us the opportunity to develop even deeper creativity and so on and so forth. That is what it means to be a human being, the greatness of the human mind. So let's go back to our question. What's the meaning that Solomon is giving? The meaning is as follows. He's telling the world, there's suffering in the world because it's distant from its creator. But the world's distance from its creator, man's distance from his source, is something that allows you to express your individual divine voice and allows you to connect to your source in the deepest way possible. That could only be from a place of distance. Only man who sees himself as a created being can turn back and realize that at my very, very first, very beginning, beginning moment, I went from nothing to something. And I'm so absolutely dependent on my, my creator. I have such a deep bond of love with my source, with my source of life. Only man and the physical realm habit inhabit can accomplish that, and therefore there needs to be free will, and sometimes we choose incorrectly. there needs to be distant distance from the source of goodness, the good the source of life, and so therefore sometimes there's deficiency which leads rise which leaves room for suffering, but the purpose of all that is the ultimate good of connecting with our source, connecting with God, and the world has not reached its potential yet. God willing, when the framework is complete. When the picture has been finalized, we'll see how the deficiency itself gave rise to the most incredible good. And each and every person who experienced suffering will find true meaning in that suffering. And as the as the as the great singer of Israel, Solomon's father, King David says, we will look back and will be like dreamers on all the suffering that we experienced in life, and that the. the people around us experience. We'll see how it was all a dream, but in retrospect, the reality was something good, something pure, something that was life itself. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day, wonderful week, and all the very best.